Take them and turn to John chapter 5, the Gospel of John chapter 5. We're doing a series through the fifth and sixth chapter of this great book of the Bible. And today I'm going to read verses 19 through 24. You'll find it on the back of your sermon outline. If you'd look in your bulletin and take that out. And we read. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor him, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So far the reading of God's word. One more time. Jesus makes people mad. And Jesus makes people glad. And the question of the hour is, into which group do you fall? You will recall that the, the context for this, uh, this passage I read is chapter 5, where Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees react very angrily against him for what he has done as Jesus exposes their legalistic views of the law, their oppressive uh, actions toward the people around him. And then it says he, he raises their fury because Jesus makes himself equal with God because he called himself the Son of God. And in their ears, you will recall uh, from the book of Leviticus, in their ears, this is blasphemy and blasphemy is worthy of death. Of course, it's only blasphemy if it's not true. Isn't that right? If you are the Son of God, if you are one with God, if you are sent by God, that's not blasphemy. And so they bring this charge against him, and John is portraying now Jesus on trial, and he is answering the charges against him, and he uses three truly, truly statements. I read two of them this morning. And, and you know, the, the, our version, the English uh, Standard Version, it just says Jesus said to them, but in the Greek language, it, it, it should be translated. The New American Standard translates it right. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, What's that? That's saying, okay now, Jesus is going to respond. 
And then, like the great rabbis of old, he says, well, the King James, it says, verily, verily, or here, truly, truly. In the Aramaic, it's amen, amen, I say to you. It's time to listen. Okay, are you ready to listen? I'm sure he caught their attention. And we come today to the first of these truly, truly statements as Jesus begins to shock them with his description of his own intimacy with God the Father. And we see, according to Jesus, how tightly connected they are and how the Father delights in and enjoys and loves the Son. And that's the first point. Do you see this in the text? As Jesus speaks of this intimacy, he says, You think uh, I'm making myself equal with God? Indeed, I am. Think about what he says. I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And as he begins in verse 19, he's really warming up for, for the next great uh, swing that he's going to take, but he, he begins to describe this intimacy that he has with God the Father, and he does it by using a, something that would be very familiar to them. He talks about the Son watching what the Father does and then doing it. And in the ancient world, that would be unmistakable. He's describing how a young man goes into the carpentry workshop of his father, And he sees how his father shapes the leg of a table. And he learns and he does what the the father is teaching him to do. Everyone would understand Jesus is claiming that he is the son of God. And he knows the will of his father. And then he does it gladly. It's really, it's quite an extraordinary moment. You know, um, This is a picture of, in one sense, it's just a picture of intimacy and friendship that leads to ministry. I could tell you dozens of stories about that in our church or in the mission field. My, my, the best one that I've ever seen, though, is certainly our friend Parfait Michai over in Benin. And we talk about this missionary that we support and partner with over there. And I've shown you pictures of Parfait and his boys, four young college men. Ipabo and Jacques and, um, and um, uh, Igor and um, Doji. And these four young men, they follow him everywhere and they watch what he does. And they see his heart of love for people. And you know what rises up in them? A heart of love for people. And they see how he preaches the gospel and shares the word of God with, with people and counsels them from God's word. And you know what they do? They do the same thing. And, and Dodgy especially. Dodgy is like Radar O'Reilly. Is anybody here old enough to remember Radar O'Reilly? Before the phone rings, he says, headquarters is calling. Dodgy knows what's on Parfait's heart. It's really beautiful. And he's about his father's business. And that's what Jesus is describing here in their wonderful relationship. In the Gospel of John, it says that 
that, that no one has ever seen God except the one who is at the Father's side. That's what Jesus is now saying here. Jesus is unique and has heard and seen things about the heart of God that no one else has. You know, some fathers and sons have good, healthy relationships, but that's not usually the case. I mean, let's be honest. Often there's friction. Often there's uh, the younger fellow is not so sure that the old man knows what he's talking about. But in this case, in this case, there is that, that mind meld. Where did that come from? The, the mind meld. Their minds are connected. And there is the appreciation of the son for the father. And what you have here is a picture of the, what we call the functional trinity. Now, make no mistake, some people think, aha, Jesus is subordinate to the Father, so he's not equal with the Father. That nothing could be further from the truth. The New Testament teaches what we call the equality of being, of one substance of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But in this passage, we learn something of the functional relationship within the Trinity. And it is a happy and willing subordination of the Son to the Father. If you want to understand what the Bible teaches about salvation, it teaches that the Father plans our salvation, the Son accomplishes our salvation, and the Spirit applies our salvation. Isn't that clear? And that's a picture of what Jesus is describing here. He has learned then the heart of the Father, and He comes to accomplish the mission the Father has given Him because He is sent. The word is used. He is sent by the Father. But then, Jesus discloses that it is a relationship, not merely of a, a general giving an order to the sergeant. It's not merely a relationship of the boss telling the subordinate what to do. What does Jesus say? He says, For the Father loves the Son. And this is quite a moment. In his defense, verily, verily, truly, truly, I tell you, not only am I intimate with my heavenly Father, but the Father loves the Son. And what echoes in your mind? Do you remember? At his baptism, it's recorded in the other Gospels. And Jesus walks into the River Jordan, and John picks up and pours the water over his head. He is baptized, and as he walks up out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove, and a voice from heaven cries out, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Or at the mountain of transfiguration. You know, the transfiguration is recorded in all four of the Gospels. It is one of the high points of the life of Jesus. And what happens there? As Peter is struck silly, seeing the glory of Christ, the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus says, For the Father loves the Son. Now, what's so beautiful about this, as opposed to the other seven announcements of the love of the Father, in the other seven announcements of the love the Father has for the Son, it always uses the word agape. 
And I've taught you that word agape is the glorious self uh, forgetting, giving love. That it's such a beautiful word describing love. But here is the only time he uses the word phileo, which means friendship love. For the father, phileo, the son. For the father really likes the son. Can you imagine the religious leaders? What? The father really likes the son, cherishes him. Moms and dads, you have teenage kids. What do teenage kids want to do? They want to hang out with their friends. They enjoy hanging out with their friends. You know, you get home from a vacation, you want to unpack the car, where do they want to go? I'm going to go be with my buddy. They enjoy being with their friends. This is what Jesus is saying God the Father is like. He just loves hanging with me. The Son delights in the Father and His will. The Father delights in the Son. And this delight, this love, spills out then into two tasks that belong to the Son given from the Father. What are they? Point number two, these two tasks. One of them is that He gives life. And then we'll see in point three, He will judge the world. So out of this relationship, point number two, we see that Jesus Christ claims to be sovereign over the giving of life. Now, this was startling to them because, as we know, and everybody believed, at that time, everybody believed, God alone has the power to bestow life and even to raise the dead. That's no surprise. Deuteronomy 32 says, See now that I, even I am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. That belongs to God, and they all know it. That's no surprise, Jesus. What's the surprise? It is now that the Son gives life to whomever He will. And we are told how many times in the Gospel of John, John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so the question now is not only does Jesus make you glad, but does he make you glad because he's given you a new life? And that is my question to everybody here in this room. Has He made you glad because He's given you new life? Sometimes Jesus is talking about spiritual life. Sometimes He's talking about physical life. In this case, it's, He's talking about spiritual life. He says in John 10:10, 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the greatest step of faith that you or I can can ever take is to take the step of faith that believes what God says about who Jesus is. Have you done that? Have you believed what God says about who Jesus is? That is how one becomes a Christian. 
Are you at that place in your life to acknowledge Jesus Christ, not just that he existed, but that he is your Messiah, your Savior, your Lord? In John eleven twenty five, Jesus speaks to Lazarus' sister. Do you remember this? You'll hear this on Easter Sunday. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asks her. And I ask you, do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. That's the first greatest step of faith that anyone can take. But the second greatest step you can take is to believe what God says about who you are. First step, do you believe what God says about who Jesus is? But if you believe in Jesus, then the greatest, the second greatest step is to actually believe I am alive. I am alive in Jesus Christ. You know, we talk about in this church, we're very, we're honest. And if you're our guest today and and you're not accustomed to hearing the fact that you need a Savior, we're not trying to insult you. But the Bible teaches that every one of us outside of Christ has a bad record, a bad heart, and a bad master. We've got a bad record. You're, You're seated in the company of sinners, listening to a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have transgressed in thoughts. Would you want every thought you ever thunk, every word you ever spoke, every action you've ever done to be broadcast on CNN or on MTV for the world to see? We all know we've fallen short. A bad heart. Jesus is actually unflattering when he talks about the selfishness, lust, and greed that arises inside of my own life, my own heart. For out of the heart of man come all kinds of... There's pride and arrogance and hatred and prejudice and and envy. And I have a bad master, for Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave of sin. But then the Bible teaches that Jesus came to give life, and he gives to his beloved... His perfect record, a new heart, and He becomes our good master. And this is the glory, glorious uh, nature of the gospel, of the new life that you have in Jesus. And friends, though we were like the, the worm, like the caterpillar, crawling along, crawling along, when you have faith in Jesus, do you believe that He makes you like the butterfly that comes out of the cocoon because you have new life? Yeah, sometimes we get stupid and we try and crawl back into the old cocoon in the old ways, but it doesn't really work and it doesn't really fit and you've got to come out and fly again. That's faith. Believe what God says about who Jesus is, then believe what God says about who you are. You have new life in Jesus Christ. He gives life. So, what have we seen? Point one, Jesus talks about the intimacy and love he has with the Father. Then, secondly, he speaks about having the power to give the life, the spiritual life of the Father to whomever he wills. And then third, 
Jesus speaks of himself as sovereign over judgment. He answers them, remember? He answers them and said, and now he says something that makes the hair on the back of their necks stand up. That he is the judge. The Father judges no one, but has given, listen to this phrase, has given all judgment to the Son. And before you recoil at this, just think about how perfect, it really makes sense. It makes perfect sense that Jesus would be the judge of the world. Why is that? Because I hope you know that Jesus is God and man. And if you think about it, all of the holiness of God, all of the beauty of God, all of the, of the righteousness of God, the perfection of God is in Jesus. You know, in this sad world, there are judges who are corrupt. In this sad world, there are judges who... Who, who are on the payroll. In this poor world, there are judges who are ignorant either of the law or ignorant of the circumstances, and they don't get it right. But Jesus, He's God. He's the Son of God. He's omniscient. He's all-wise. He's righteous. He has perfectly fulfilled the law. He is God the Son. And yet, at the same time, do you know, the Bible teaches that Jesus is fully man. He's fully human. And I love this about Jesus. It says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was made like us in all things. It says in the book of Hebrews, he was tempted like us in all things. Now, people stand before a judge and they say, Judge, you just don't understand. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Judge, you don't know the fierceness of the temptation that overcame me. Judge, you, you just don't get it. But no one will say that to Jesus because Jesus was made like us in all things. He knows the frailty of your flesh and Jesus was tempted completely, resisting the whole way. If anybody understands how fierce temptation can be, Jesus does and so it makes perfect sense, doesn't it, that he is the judge of all the earth. And will not the judge of all the earth do right, Abraham said, and, he is, and that is true. So who can stand before him? Psalm 130. I love Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. What is that? That's old-fashioned language. If you, O Lord, kept a record of my sins, O Lord, who could stand? Who? None of us. But the next verse, verse 4, says, but with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. And then verses 7 and 8 say to us, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With Him is plentiful redemption. He Himself will redeem His people from their sins. How will He do that? How will He do that? And do you know the answer? If you don't know the answer, come Good Friday and hear the answer, but I'm not going to wait till then to tell you. How do you know that He has redeemed His people from their sins? The cross. The atoning self-sacrifice of the love of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. The cross. How does he himself do it? Prophesied hundreds of years before he came. The God-man sacrifices himself for the sins of his people, and humanity is spared. How is there forgiveness? Acts 10, 42 and 43, you see it on the back of your bulletin. Peter says, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. John must have heard, I mean, Peter must have heard Jesus on this day that our text is recording. He is appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Now verse 43. Don't miss verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so once again you have Jesus the judge and forgiveness of sins through his name, his work, what he's done for you on the cross. What's the application of this? Oh, my friends, the application is clear. Do you know that the one who will come as judge of all mankind has first come to be a Savior? Do you know that? And have you come to the place where you have embraced Jesus Christ, the coming judge, as your own Savior? How does he save? We talked about this last week, and if you weren't with us last week, how do you pass from death to life? How do you avoid the judgment? The answer is not a sexy theological term, but it's just uh, this term. The answer is double imputation. Double imputation. The imputation of my sins onto Christ on the cross. And then the imputation of Christ's righteousness onto me. An alien, external righteousness, not having, Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. How humbling. How humiliating. Somebody's here saying, you mean I'm not going to tell God how great I am on the judgment day? I have to tell God how great Jesus is on the judgment day? That's right. That's what you will gladly say. And you will give Him all the glory. Not 99% of the glory. Yeah, he died on the cross for me, but I taught Sunday school. I put my nickel in the offering plate every week. 100% of the glory goes to Jesus alone for our salvation. Double imputation. My sins laid upon him. His righteousness, Paul says, credited to my account. Do you get it? This is the good news of the gospel. You say, that's not fair. No, it's not fair. It's grace. It's grace. On on my Facebook news feed this week, a friend of mine, Scott Sauls, Nashville, Tennessee, he posted this on Thursday night. Listen carefully. Scott wrote, Here is a reason to be glad in Jesus. Does Jesus make people glad? He writes, here is a reason to be glad in Jesus. In Jesus, your judgment day has been moved from the future to the past. And so, point four, we honor the Son. We honor the Son. Verse 23, as Jesus 
speaks and gives them an answer. He says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father who sent him. And in the ancient world, they would understand that when a king sends his agent to negotiate, whether he's negotiating uh, the end of a war and peace with another nation, or whether he's just negotiating the price of crops, when he sends his agent into the world, those that receive him must honor the agent even as they honor the king. For even the king will honor the word of his agent, whatever he negotiates. The people will hold to it, and the king will hold to it. Why? Because the agent is his representative. The agent does well. And he is to be held in esteem and honor. Do you know Jesus was sent? Moses said, There is a prophet greater than me who's coming into the world. Jesus is the prophet greater than Moses. Jesus is the king greater than David. Jesus is the priest greater than Melchizedek. He comes and the people, we are told, take up palm branches and for a brief moment of sanity, Jerusalem, the covenant people of God, in this one day they say, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They honor him. And Jesus says, if they don't, what will happen? What will the rocks start doing? Does anybody know? The rocks will cry out. And the hills, what will the, the mountains begin to do? The mountains, if we fail to praise our king, to honor our Jesus, if we fail, then it falls to the rocks to do it, and they will. North Shore Community Church, Let's be a community that honors the sun. You know, in the business world, there's lots of talk about branding, right? What's your brand? And and the best companies out there are the companies that know what they're doing. They know what they're good at, and they do it well, and they let the world know that they do it well. That's branding. What's your brand? Let me tell you the brand of the North Shore Community Church, of the people seated in this room. Our brand is to know Christ and to make Him known, to honor the Son of God. In our preaching, you know, we can preach about six stress busters that make you sleep better at night, I suppose, and have a series on handling stress. Or we can talk about world events, politics, But the brand of this church is to know Jesus Christ, to lift up Jesus Christ, to preach Jesus Christ, and to make him known that you would know him, and and I would know him, and we would honor the Son. That's our brand. In our youth group, in our Sunday school, in our kids' clubs, in our college group, in every home fellowship group, leaders point each other to Jesus Christ. Lift him up. And when we do told you when we sang before the sermon, we exist as an outpost on the far edge of heaven, down here on earth, on the north shore of a long island, and we join the chorus that honors the sun. Revelation 5, verse 11 and 12, then I looked 
And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Palm Sunday, will you honor the Son? Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Today we thank you that Jesus could say he sees and does the will of the Father. That Jesus is beloved. And Lord, each of us, if we are honest, each one of us would say there might be a time in our life when we might doubt that you would love me. Maybe I was selfish. Maybe I was rude. Maybe I was cruel. Maybe I was proud. And you saw it for what it is. How could you love me? But we tell you today, we understand that you love your son. And we do not doubt, we cannot doubt that you love Jesus. You love the Son with a phileo love and an agape love. And we are told that by faith in Him, the love, Jesus, you said, the love that the Father has for me, I have for you. And so we thank you right now for that love that is now ours, imputed to us, given to us, infused into us, Thank you for your grace. We do not doubt how great is your love, Father, for your Son. And we are united to your Son this day, and we celebrate. We celebrate that. Maybe right now you, you need to say, Lord, touch me with your love. Let me assure me of your love. Would you just say that to him? in the quietness of your heart. I hope you hear his voice. As I love my son, I love you. Maybe you know someone in your family or in your circle of relationships who you know is going through a hard time spiritually. Would you pray for them right now? That the pain that is deep in their soul, the hatred or the bitterness might be melted by the love of the Father for the Son, that they would have faith in the Son and receive that love. Maybe you can think of somebody who's, who just doesn't believe. They say, I'd like to believe, but I don't believe. 
Would you pray for them now so that they could escape the judgment that is to come? Would you ask God to save them? Give them that, that Jesus would give life to whomever he wills, that he would ask God to consider this person that you would name to them right now. And if he has made you glad this morning, as the Son desires to do the will of the Father, would you offer him your will? And would you tell him that Monday morning when you wake up and through the week to come, that you will find a hunger in your own heart to do the will, to obey, to follow what you see the Father doing? Husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives who would show honor to their husbands. Parents who would be gracious to their children. Children, teenagers, who would delight to obey and cooperate with their parents. Can you get in your mind's eye a couple hundred people witnessing about their faith for Jesus to their neighbor or colleague or classmate? We see your will and we love to do it. Would you pray now that you would love to do the will of the Father who sent Jesus and now sends you into this world? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Amen. Let's stand and sing our praises to him. This is high energy. Lift up your voices.